So every time we learn something in yoga therapy, we first try it on ourselves and experience it. This is why they say yoga is experiential. We do the self-reflection, and then after we have experienced it and reflected upon it, then we try it with our clients. That's why we have a daily practice. That's why we have a mentor to help us with that daily practice. So after you've done this counseling and self-reflection on yourself, there'll be a whole other layer of mastery when you're actually counseling a client. Now, the way that we counsel a client is not Western psychology. It's from the perspective of the Yoga Sutra and Indian philosophy. We are trying to help our clients understand their lives from the perspective of Indian philosophy, basically. So everything that you're about to hear, if it is difficult for you, that's okay. That's a good self-reflection to have too. Nobody's saying you have to buy it hook, line, and sinker, just like your clients may not buy it hook, line, and sinker. It's the joy is in the journey, not in you must believe this way because people have thought this way for thousands of years. It's about self-exploration and kind of getting to know yourself, just like for your clients, it will be that way. Many of the clients that I have private sessions with, this is what they come for. They want to understand their life from an ancient philosophical perspective that can help them make sense of how they're suffering, why they're suffering, how they can suffer less, applied to everyday problems. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Please nourish yourself, take time for yourself, and really relax into listening to the podcast. The model of evolution from Sankhya philosophy, which basically says each one of us is a Purusha. We, even before we got this body and mind and emotions, it will be here after this body and mind emotions are gone. Now you can think of that as, you know, reincarnation. You, however you want to think about that. You, if you're Christian, you could think of, you know, your your soul goes to Jesus, you know, it doesn't really matter what label you put on it, but it is to say you are indestructible. There's a part of you that will never change. That is all knowing that's always been here. That isn't confused or sad or full of rage or feeling rejected or having trauma that is untouchable that all the difficulties of life don't touch that part of you. It is beyond the three gunas, if you will. And we'll talk about the gunas in a few minutes. So a big part of what we're talking about with yogic counseling is to remind people that there's a place inside of you that is untouchable by suffering. And that may be clouded, it may be covered up, but it's in there. And part of your yoga journey 
is to connect deeply with that part of you that doesn't suffer, that is the light that will always be here, even after this human body is no longer here. So that's what we mean by Purusha. Prakriti is the material world. It's it's your body, it's your mind, it's your emotions, it's this computer, it's this water bottle, it's that tree. Things that are made in the material world are always changing. The tree grows leaves, gets fruit, the leaves fall off, that tree is empty in the winter, just branches, no leaves. It's always changing. Your emotions are changing. Your mental state is changing. Your body is changing. So just as the Purusha is unchanging, anything that is made of the material world or the Prakriti is always changing. And it has kleshas. It has misperception. We have misperception. We have ego identification. Our ego gets hurt. We have attachment to outcome, attachment to my preferences. We have aversions like, oh, I don't like that. Can't stand that person. Bad energy. <laughs> we have suffering. That's what we mean by kalesha is the causes of suffering, the five kleshas. And prakriti does not have total clarity. I should have no total clarity here. It's clouded. The view is clouded. And all of this material world is made of the three gunas. So in the Sankhya model of evolution, the purpose of Prakriti is to serve Purusha and not the other way around. Purusha has come to experience itself through this human body, mind, and spirit in this material world. Purusha is like, bring it on. I want, I want to experience myself through you. Now, although the Purusha is the same in all of us, meaning we all have one, according to Yoga Sutra philosophy, which is a dualistic philosophy, there is a little bit of individualism in your Purusha, meaning if I can explain it like this, that your soul, which is untouchable, unchanging, eternal, kind of rubs up against your constitution, your mental habits, your emotions. It, it's kind of in close contact. And therefore, there's a little bit of individuality. It's not that the Prakriti influences the Purusha, but it's that they're very, very close together. And that's why we say that they're is some almost individuation, but that doesn't mean that your Purusha isn't also part of the larger ocean of Purusha. It's a little bit complicated. We'll keep it simple for now. So in a nutshell, our Prakriti containers are different. Our body constitution, our mental constitution, how we show up in the world, how we communicate, how we perceive, how our senses work, all of that is a little bit different. But the Purusha has a very similar quality in all of us. But it's because the container, the body, mind, spirit container is clouded. 
remember <laughs> it's always changing it's full of glaciers it does not have clarity it is that cloudiness that causes us to suffer and that's why people come to yoga therapy i have back pain i have asthma i have anxiety i have depression basically what they're saying to us is hmm, my prakriti body is out of balance and i don't think my prakriti is serving my purusha to the best of its ability at this time. Could you help me get back in alignment so that my Prakriti starts to mirror my Purusha a little bit? Now, one thing I think is interesting about that is Purusha doesn't mind suffering. Purusha is like, let's have an experience. Oh, that's interesting. Back pain. And it doesn't have a preference. It just says, oh, back pain. Okay, we're experiencing back pain. But most of us don't don't like back pain. We have a preference, right? But I, I do think that's interesting that Purusha is willing to experience even the things we might consider difficult and, and wish we didn't have to experience. Purusha is like, oh, it's, it is an experience. I'm okay with that. So according to the Sankhya model of evolution, when we come into this physical container, this Prakriti body, there are some deep impressions that have come with us into this life. Some people might say that's your DNA. Some people might say that's your ancestral trauma. Some people might say that's your ancestral gifts. But whatever you want to call it, in your pranic body, there are some deep grooves and those deep grooves from DNA, from ancestors, whatever you want to call it, show up in the Vijnanamaya layer of your human system, your personality layer, basically. So even when you first come in as a very, very small baby, at the moment of conception, even before you're born, in the womb, you already have these deep impressions laid down as part of your personality, which is kind of fascinating to think about. So that's what we call the Mahat, part of your Prakriti. Now, as you start to evolve and you're growing in the womb and you're experiencing what your mother is experiencing and you're, oh, she's having a taco. Oh, she's watching a sad movie. Oh, now she's scared. Oh my gosh, this is what joy feels like, right? There's the, the baby is feeling everything the mother is feeling in the womb. But as a survival mechanism, there's something called the ahankara that basically says, I need to survive. Some people might call this your ego. <laughs> I need to survive. She, she didn't feed me for four hours. I, I don't feel very well. I need some fuel down here. And of course, that ahankara is there even after you're born as a young child and even as an adult. You and I, we, we have the ahankara. The question is, how much of it is true survival and how much of it is fear about survival? So I have a lot of chronic pain clients that come to me that are fine financially. They're provided for, but they're scared to death that if they don't keep working 70 hours a week, they're going to lose everything and get homeless. There is such a need for survival in there that even when they're safe, even when they're provided for and their 401k is fat, <laughs> they're still scared. 
that that's kind of an ahankara that has taken over and caused suffering, caused fear, abhinivesha. So a big part of what we're trying to help people understand is their mahat, what they come in with, what were those deep impressions, may or may not be able to figure that out. Is their ahankara overworking? Is it having correct perception? Some people do need to work 70 hours a week to pay the bills. That It's not about the 70 hours a week. It's, is that an accurate perception? And are we pushing ourselves too hard needlessly? Or is that absolutely necessary for you? And if so, how can we work with that? How can we give you the best life possible, even though you have to work 70 hours a week? The ahankara is not a bad thing. It helps us survive. But a lot of the counsel we're doing with people is to help them see if their perception of what they need to survive is actually accurate or not. Or maybe it's something that was passed on to them from their mahat. Maybe it's uh, early childhood trauma that kind of clouded their perception and they've, they've held on to that now due to poverty or, or racism or some other thing that could truly be impacting them today. And then that's a correct perception. Or maybe it impacted them before, but it's actually not true anymore. They're, they're maybe not in poverty now, right? So really looking, helping people look at their situation and their perception and trying to sort out what is correct perception, pramana, versus, hmm, is this old stuff that I don't actually need to carry anymore? Or is there some combination of the two? We might also counsel people on something called svabhava. What is the life blueprint? What is the meaning and purpose? What are you here to do? We call it your dharma. A lot of people come and want to talk about I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I have time. I have energy. I I'm I have focus and I don't know which direction to turn. So we might help them kind of tease out, well, what are your natural gifts? What are your areas of challenge? What makes you passionate? What have other people in your family done and been really successful at? Because the Svabhava is connected to the Mahat, these, these deep impressions from past ancestors, right? So we do a lot of counsel on what we call seed potential. Sva is self, bhava is this, this seed inside you. And, and not dying without understanding why you're here and how you can contribute to society in a meaningful way while taking good care of yourself. So we might counsel on the sva bhava and try to help people figure that out. Again, you can't really counsel someone else on how to figure out their mahat, their ahankara and their svabhava until you have gone through that process with your mentor and your personal practice. You're probably thinking right now, like, I don't know what to say to somebody about that. Well, because you haven't gone through the process yourself until you learn how to golf, you can't coach anybody else to golf. So once you go through it, and it usually takes a two to three year cycle, that's why we have a two to three year program it organically emerges from you and you know what to say and how to counsel according to the yoga sutra and Indian philosophy. So don't worry about the clients yet, just do the work 
and I promise you it will work out. <laughs> now we're moving to this idea of the three gunas, which we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about. I tried to reference the Yoga Sutra in the corner of each one of the slides that this, this comes from. So when I say YS 2.15, you could go to Yoga Sutra chapter two, verse 15, and have a really good kind of idea about where this philosophy is coming from. So the three gunas are rajas, tamas, and sattva. These are kind of the energetic flow of the mind. When we talk about guna, we're talking about mental. And according to Patanjali, everything starts mentally on a very subtle level and then flows into a more gross, tangible form, which we might call our physical body. So if we have a very sattvic mind, we're probably going to have good blood pressure, good digestion, strong immune system, fertility. There's a lot of physical things that come from having a very sattvic mind. If you have a lot of excitement or energization or agitation, there's a lot of different ways to look at the rajas guna. That, that means your mind is moving very, very fast, right? And that also has a set of physical manifestations to it that could be like diabetes, autoimmune disease, rashes, psoriasis. There's, there's a lot of things that over many, many years of having a rajas mind could, could actually manifest in the body. And then the tamasguna, tamoguna is kind of a more lethargic, heavy type mind, a slower mind. Mm, yeah. Heavy, lethargic, slow. Those are good words. And, and that mind over many decades could also lead to certain physical things like hypothyroidism or like depression. So as we said, according to Patanjali, it starts in the mind and then manifests into the body over many, many years of imbalance. Now there can also be combinations. It's not just like a strict three categories. You could be kind of a sattvic and a little rajasic person. You could be sattvic with a little tamasic, right? So you can see there's many combinations, but the point is through our yoga practice and lifestyle management, we hope to stay closer to sattva more of the time. And we hope to teach our clients to be closer to sattva more of the time. It's not possible. Only Purusha can be sattvic all the time. We can't because we have these changing energies in us, both mind and body. But the goal of yoga therapy is to not get so far off track and try to pull ourselves back towards more sattva. Now, when we have a certain birth constitution, meaning we were conceived and or born or both, if you will, with more air and space or more fire and hot water or more earth and cold water, that means we're kind of starting off from a, a place not very close to sattva. And our best intervention as a yoga therapist might just 
bring somebody a little closer to sattva so they can suffer less. But maybe they're not going to pop right into total liberation, total kaivalyam or enlightenment. Most of us are never going to get there. <laughs> but through yoga therapy, we can help people suffer a little bit less by bringing them closer to sattva, whether they came in through their mahat and their ahankara and their svabhava, right? Those three things are very much involved in both the birth constitution, how you popped into this body, but also the lifestyle that you have either created for yourself or maybe your parents created for you and that started a habit, right? So, you know, as yoga therapists, we're looking a lot at lifestyle imbalance. Why do I keep having coffee every morning, even though I know that sends me into a very fast, sharp mind that isn't as nice as I'd like? Or why do I keep drinking wine at night and dragging myself down into this tamasic state so I wake up with a cloudy head, right? So to differentiate that the birth constitution matters, but what we're really doing as yoga therapists is really looking at what lifestyle interventions can we help the client with to bring themselves and their lifestyle a little closer to sattva more of the time. And when they get out of balance, can they catch it and pull it back a little closer? That's the name of the game. Now, the way that we start this process is what I call a co-assessment uh, or a co-negotiation, where the very first step is to help them see their habits and patterns with respect to their physical body. When do they feel disembodied or cold or depleted? When do they feel hot and itchy and hormonal <laughs> or hypoglycemic? Uh, when do they feel stuck or sluggish or achy or toxic or have excess mucus? Noticing, oh gosh, I'm feeling toxic again. All right, what did I do to lead me to this feeling toxic? Oh, I had wine last night. Hmm, could I have kombucha instead of wine? That's a great. Could I have a really fizzy, delicious probiotic drink instead of wine? I bet that would get me closer to sattva in my lifestyle, in my body, where the next morning I could wake up feeling light and clear and embodied and energetic and pain-free. So there's things that we can teach people to assess their own physical body and figure out, okay, what are the adjustments I can make? You as a yoga therapist are going to teach people how to assess themselves and how to correct. Same thing mentally, emotionally. We are going to help people see the pattern of, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed again. What did I do? Oh my gosh, I said yes to too many things. Or, wow, I feel really frustrated again with this person or with myself. Hmm. Let's reflect. What led up to that? How can I avoid that in the future? Right? Yoga Sutra 215 is about looking at the seeds of suffering. Yoga Sutra 216 is, what do I need to do differently next time? Because I don't want to keep stepping in the same pothole. So when we're looking at the lifestyle imbalances and, and the potholes we keep stepping in or the potholes that our clients keep stepping in and then going back and saying, hmm, 
I, I get depressed when I don't run in the morning. All right. Well, I guess that means I need to figure out a way to run every morning. <laughs> so first you'll do it on yourself for a couple of years. And then organically, you'll know how to do the same process with, with clients. Could be the three gunas with respect to personality. What are the positive characteristics of one's personality that help them feel happier and healthier and whole? But also, what are some of the areas of our personalities that make life a little more difficult for us? And, and how can we notice when we're flipping into imbalance about being anxious about the future and pull ourselves back into the present moment? Or when we're getting really judgmental and critical of ourselves or others. Oh, okay, here I am doing it again. <laughs> or, wow, I'm complaining a lot. Hmm, okay. I, I, I want to make a little goal not to complain for two hours. So again, watching ourselves and then eventually teaching our clients to watch themselves. Now, the hard part about all of this is that most of this is happening subliminally. We are complaining or we are getting angry or we are getting overwhelmed from a place of unconsciousness. Like it happens, but we don't really see our part in it. So there's something called a vasana that is like a leftover imprint from prob probably a previous experience, but it could be coming through your DNA, could be coming through your ancestors too. <laughs> Excuse me, let me get a drink here. Most of the time, most of the time, these vasanas are very unconscious. This comes from Yoga Sutra 4, chapter four, verse eight. So something that we will do for ourselves, but we will also do with our clients is kind of look back at vasanas. So when I'm suffering, when have I felt like this before? Hmm. Last time I felt like this, it was in high school and there were a lot of mean girls. Hmm, what is that vasana? That's the mean girl vasana. I don't like that vasana. But now I'm a grown woman. We're not in high school anymore. I don't have to be at the mercy of the mean girls. I can set boundaries. I can communicate. I can cut people out of my life. I don't have to be in the hallways with the mean girls anymore. So seeing those patterns of our lives and helping us trace back to this leftover feeling and deciding to do it differently going forward, which again goes back to Yoga Sutra 2.16. Looking at our habits and patterns. Let's take that mean girl example. Am I going to shrink? Am I going to lose confidence? Am I going to shame myself like I did in high school or like you did in high school? Or am I going to stand up and be a different version of myself with new habits, new mental habits, new mental patterns? chest up, back straight, chin up, proud of myself for the woman I've become. So 
as we're getting counsel, but as we also will work with our clients, helping people re-perceive or change perception of the vasanas and create new mental, emotional, and physical habits or patterns to show up differently in the world. A big part of these samskaras or these habits and patterns comes in Yoga Sutra chapter 3, verse 9, what we call nirodha samskara. It's the samskara of stability of the mind where you have well-being, positivity, pleasantness, strength, resilience, and long, smooth breaths. Uttana samskara is actually one of agitation, where we have sorrow, we don't feel at ease, we have a negative mindset, the, the body isn't working well, meaning physiologically, we're just not feeling right, we have low blood sugar, we're constipated, our blood pressure is high, and our breathing is disturbed. Oftentimes it's a hold at the top of the inhalation, like inhale, walking around like a little soldier at the top of the inhale, right? That's what it means by shvasa prashvasa. So what we're working with people to fix essentially is that we want to create habits and patterns of the nirodha samskara, the well-being, the ease, pleasantness, strength, resilience, long, smooth breath. Sukha, saumanasya, angasterayam, and Dirga Shukshma. We do that through asana, through pranayama, through meditation. Last but not least, what causes the sorrow, the negativity, the debilitation of our physiology? What causes our disturbed breathing? The kleshas. It all goes back to the kleshas. Avidya, which is misperception. Asmita, ego identification or falsely identifying with something that is not your purusha. Raga, desire or attachment. Devesha, which is aversion. Abhinivesha, which is fear. So the kleshas are really what kind of messes us up a little bit. And that's when we were saying earlier, Purusha doesn't have any kleshas. Only Prakriti has kleshas. Kind of a side note, when we have those kleshas, we tend to have klesha vrittis or the, the manifestations of these kleshas. This is not in the Yoga Sutras, it's in Vyasa's commentary, but we get lustful, we get angry, we get greedy, we get blind to the context of the situation that we're in. We just don't understand everything that's, you know, you don't know what you don't know, basically. We get rageful, we get jealous. That, that's what happens when our kleshas go bonkers. And what is the solution? The eight limbs of yoga. Start working on your five yamas, your five social attitudes how to have nonviolence, how to speak your truth with heart, how to not steal others' ideas and belongings, how to live a life of moderation, brahmacharya, 
how to have non-grasping and kind of be happy with what you have in front of you. And always, instead of always trying to like claw your way to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So through these social attitudes, we can really work on the kleshas or the causes of suffering. And then the five niyamas, which are personal disciplines, right? One is how do you act with others? But this one is how do you act with yourself? Do you have an attitude of purity, meaning taking care of your mind and your body, shaucha? Do you have contentment, santosha? Do you have tapas? Are you willing to feel that friction to work on yourself and to take a new direction and to not let those spasanas and samskaras take over, but say, nope, I can be different now. I'm a grown woman or a grown man. Svadhyaya, are you willing to do the self-study required to slowly and mindfully shift your personality and how you show up in the world in a very gentle way, not in a shameful way, like, oh, you're bad, you need to be different, but in a, wow, I think I can be an even better version of myself. And then finally, Ishvar Pranidhana, doing your best, giving 100%, showing up every day, but also saying, you know, I can't control everything and fix everything. I, I surrender the outcome. I've done my best. I have humility. I'm not in control of everything. So I did my best and whatever happens, happens. The yamas and the niyamas are kind of the antidote to the kleshas. And, and it's kind of the, the guideposts that we have to help people understand where things might be going off track, causing their gunas to get out of balance. But it's kind of like a chicken or the egg. Did the gunas get out of balance, which caused some kleshas, which caused us to not follow our yamas and niyamas? Or did we not follow our yamas and niyamas, which made the gunas get out of balance, right? Do you see the chicken or the egg? <laughs> the point is, from the perspective of your personal practice and your work with your mentor, but also from the perspective of how will you eventually work with clients, those are some of the main concepts that you'll be doing in terms of yogic counsel with your people. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. 
And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.